I'm learning a lot more from YouTube as well. And when you say that this is a great time for self-learning, I'm trying to learn Blender at the same time. I think YouTube, I fall back on YouTube a lot. And I'm watching all these people who are sharing their experiences in using all this software, this application. I'm learning a lot more. And I'm starting to learn a lot more than back in the past. Really, yeah, I learned so much. As compared to 10 years ago, I, all this knowledge is like, you know, a span of like maybe 10 years, but within a year now, you can learn so much and you're using so much more advanced functions at the time, at this time. Welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I'm your host, Nishant Jain. On this show, I speak with artists around the world who draw, paint, and otherwise take creative inspiration from their environment. Welcome to new listeners, and thank you for staying with me to all the veteran listeners. I have big plans with the podcast this year. All of this month, I will be trying a new format of episode with the people who subscribe to my Substack publication. If things go well, this experiment will lead to more kinds of episodes, new YouTube videos, and who knows what else. Things happen. The Sneaky Art Post goes out twice a week to free readers. Once I share my latest drawing from the week, and in the second I share my best ideas and insights from this show and my art practice. In addition, there is a special Sunday edition for Sneaky Art Insiders, where I share bonus content from the show, I run art giveaways every week, and I discuss my future projects and ideas. I love to send art to people, so this is another reason I'm glad to have people who choose to support my work. If you're listening to this episode close to its release, I have just completed my 30-day daily drawing project of April, and I'm now beginning phase two with my newsletter readers. Phase two is when I use my drawings to figure out how to make a book. Self-publishing is one route. I have done that before in Wisconsin with great success. The other path is to find an agent and publisher for sneaky art. So over the course of this summer, I am exploring both pathways in this new part of the world that I now live in and sharing everything that I learn with my readers. Learning in public is the motto. It makes me a better learner, I feel, to do it this way, and hopefully I can also help someone who is on a similar journey. If that person is you, find the link in the show notes and add sneaky art to your inbox. My guest today is a longtime member of the global urban sketching community, Singapore-based comic artist Don Lowe. Don took a big leap in life to quit an engineering job and become a full-time artist. In making this decision, he negotiated a number of obstacles and burdens, personal and societal, that I could relate with. So we speak about our similar journeys that went along relatively safe career paths, but later pivoted towards discovering and pursuing our individual creative goals. Don's story is one of continuous self-education, both inside and outside the classroom. And if there's anything I would like to take from this conversation, anything that I would like to give to you, it is the joy that Don seems to have for just learning things. I'm delighted to find how much we shared in common, and it is a small pity that we are only now speaking with each other despite knowing about each other's work for so long. 
I say it's a small pity because it's a greater joy that being a podcaster gives me this license to have long conversations with such people whose work I really admire. And that's what this show is really about, you know, having the opportunity to listen to people who do cool things and giving them the opportunity to express themselves at length. In the show notes, I am sharing the link to my newsletter post of the day. In it, I break down some of the key moments from this conversation, some things that I found particularly insightful, and some related links to help you go down tangential rabbit holes if you are curious about things the way that I am. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to check out this link. And now, let's get into it. Hello, Don, and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I am absolutely delighted to speak with you today. I've been following your story for a few weeks now in preparation for this conversation. But for longer than that, I've been following your art. And I'm a big fan of all the different kinds of art that I've seen you do. First, it was the brush pen. Then I saw that you do similar things in digital art as well. And uh, I later discovered the way you use colors. And that was also fascinating to me. But when I was reading about your life, I discovered that Uh, more similarities between us. Like I discovered that you used to be an engineer and then through this engineering education and life, you harbored the dream to be a writer and an artist. And one day you made that leap of faith. And I find that so great because that's, it's something like what I did as well. Another matching point we had was that I was reading this story about you in which you said that it was your wife who convinced you to take this leap which is exactly what happened with me as well. So I really want you to tell me a little bit more about this moment. Like, what were you doing? How was, uh, what was your day job? How were you keeping art in your life? And what were the circumstances in which your wife asked you to commit to art and writing? I think that was a very long time ago when I graduated. I was actually doing material science, materials engineering back in the, in the days when I was studying in the college. Becoming an artist is not like something that we would consider at that time because it's not something that Asians or Chinese people would do. And my parents, even though they encouraged me to draw, I mean, to to do art as a hobby, even my teachers encouraging me to to do art as, as a hobby as well, not as a career. And even, even when I was like in, in secondary school, I was asking my teachers like, oh, should I pursue art as a career and stuff like that? And she said, oh, it's, it's better for you to finish a university degree before you consider doing something different. You have to finish something, you have to study something that's practical. And, and you know, so to me, art is not practical. And it's not something that uh, we could uh, do for a career, we could do as a living, as a livelihood. So that kind of like grew in me for a long time. And even at the time, um, when I finished my studies, I decided to, I got to know some publishers and I wanted to be a, a full-time comic artist as well. And I talked to my dad and we had a big fight. I was like telling him that, oh, you know, I, I could actually do this for, for a living. I, I have been freelancing for a long time, even though, even when I was studying 
uh, as, a, as an engineer, as a college student. So I was freelancing as a illustrator. I was doing comics. I was doing comics for friends, publishing, things like that. I spent two years in my military training um, and I was doing freelancing as well. I was rushing my comic uh, deadline. So I, I have been actually doing two things at one at the same time, doing something, studying and freelancing and then serving as an arm, serving in the army and then also freelancing as well. And then when I started working as an engineer, so I worked as an engineer for about three, three to four years uh, before I decided this is enough. And the four years working as an engineer, I was actually working eight hours um, as an engineer and then I go back home and then I, and then I, I freelance and then after my freelance, I would continue on for another few hours, a couple of hours, maybe four hours until like maybe two to three a.m. Doing something that's more personal, doing personal projects, drawing, practicing art and things like that. So I have been like spending so many hours and I felt that, hey, this is the time when I should actually choose a side, right? I need to choose a side because um, I'm getting too tired. Um, I'm, sometimes I have to work like long hours in, in my day job and then I have to but then I have to. I will go back home and do my stuff as well. So I think well, when I got married in 1998, um, my wife, or at that time my girlfriend, was always supporting me. And then there was a time when I was working. I, I was working without a computer, and I had to borrow my friend's computer at his office, and I could only use the computer after he left office. So I I will start work at 8 p.m. and then I will finish work at about 7 a.m. in the morning. But that period was quite interesting because my wife uh, was working as a nurse and she she was doing night shift. So I finished work at 7 a.m. and she she finished work at 7 a.m. as well. So we would go for uh, breakfast together and then we would take a nap and then we would continue on with our with our daily routine. So when we got when we got married and moved to a new place a place of our own um she said you you are just spending too much time working as an engineer and then as, as well as doing your the stuff that you like so why not just uh, choose something choose one so choose one that uh, you are really really passionate about but i was also very passionate about engineering i wanted to do a master's in engineering and but somehow you know uh, you know, you know it when in the light in, in you start to dwindle as you are doing it. You suddenly realize that, hey, you're not. Your mind was preoccupied with uh, I need to draw this character, you know that kind of thing. So, over a span of time, you realize that hey, engineering is not what I want to do actually. And then I said, I I told my wife, I said, um, if I choose to be an artist, and I don't really have an income for because I need to do it as a career, I need to start all of it again from scratch. How, what will you, what do you think? What did you think? What would you think of that? So then she said, well, it's okay because I, she has an income, she has a steady income at the time. I was doing quite well for in engineering as well. I was, I was getting a lot of, a lot of money. Uh, I have a, a buffer to survive without income for a year, but I, I'm worried, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an Asian. Right, I'm a husband. And I need to, I need to be the, uh, the breadwinner and things like that. So that is also ingrained in me. So I'm, I'm worried as well. But she said, "Don't worry. I mean, just go ahead. I think, uh, as long as one, 
out of two has an income and we could survive, pay the bills. That is okay. So that was a that was a real encouragement to me. So I said, okay, let uh, let me do it. Let me try it. So I got some money from my wedding. Uh, you know that for Asian, right? We have a for our wedding, we have a banquet, and then we have to pay for hundred tables of gas. Um, but we got I got we got our our parents to pay for their own gas, and we paid for our gas and things like that. But as we get my, our money back from banquet, I borrowed. $4,000 from my dad and I promised I would return to him. So using this $4,000, I bought my first Mac computer system and I, from there, I started to, to do more, uh, to go into digital art, to go into more professional illustration and learn how to use uh, software and things like that. And about for the first half a year of that decision making, I was not having an income. Definitely, I was I was trying to get my portfolio. I was trying to do up a lot of things, and I really didn't have any income for half a year. But within after half a year, this everything took off, and I was getting so much, so many projects that I couldn't really cope. Um, for the next two years, I think. So I I, I guess, I guess having a spouse encouragement is very important. I mean, it, it leaves it frees your mind from having to think too much about um, supporting the family, supporting households, paying the bills and things like that. I think uh, I have the peace of mind to just do it. And, and I have that habitual kind of like determination to make it work. So I, I'm like, like engineering work, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time just to practice, train myself, learn new stuff from my friends. And then things just uh, took off quite well. <laughs> Fortunately, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's such a lovely story. And it reminds me of the same situation that I was in because uh, I was in the middle of a PhD program. So I was not working as an engineer, but I was doing a PhD in biomechanics. And my wife convinced me that because I wanted to be a writer all my life, she convinced me that this is the time you have to choose. And just like you describe it, you know, like I would finish my day's work in the university and I would come back home and then I would begin writing into the late night. And this, I kept this on through my bachelor's, through my master's degree, and it was somehow managed, you know, it was possible to keep this balance. But when I was in a PhD program, I found that it was taking away too much energy and I couldn't I couldn't maintain both of them. And also like what you said, like there was this side of the, the engineer in me was happy about the engineering. Like, you know, there is a certain joy of just being able to do good, like really difficult things. You get a lot of joy out of that also. So there was a joy of achievement that I associated with my engineering work. And I liked that, uh, getting that joy also. But uh I realized that that was not all I wanted and that, you know, once the creativity became tough to uh, do on a regular basis, I realized that I missed it more. So uh, I want to talk about you becoming a freelance artist, but now I'm also a little curious about when you were growing up and uh, you were drawn towards art and writing, but there was not any clear pathway to how you can become a professional artist or writer because those kind of things are not really happening around us as much. Like we don't have as many role models. What were the things that inspired you 
to write and to draw? What uh, were you taking inspiration from books, from media, from television around you? What were the things that you wanted to draw? What were the things you wanted to write? I think I got a lot of uh, inspiration from friends. I think being with the right people uh, is very important. It's very important as you are growing as an artist. Fortunately, when I was a student, I uh, I read comics on the newspaper. That was very young when I was like maybe during my secondary school days, during my JC junior colleges, junior college days, and um, I started to to submit works into to the newspaper, right? And um, there are many reasons for it. It's it's for money, right? You get a token. You get a fee for every, every every comic, every four panel comic, single panel comic that you submitted as a student, and and the newspaper was actually encouraging students to submit writing, composition, even comics. So I tried my hands with comics because, I mean, I was influenced by many Chinese comics, but uh, at the time I wanted to write something on my own, and then I saw saw other people actually submitted and got published. So that inspired me, and, and because um, you want to compete. And you want to be also be part of it. So for many years, for a few years, so we uh, submitted like I'm not a regular submission. I'm not re- regularly submitting, but uh, once in a while, maybe once a month, or maybe uh, that. I wasn't. I, I did not know at the time that the newspaper was actually collect collecting names of students who are who were submitting, and there was a time when uh, just before I went to the army, when I was eighteen. Um, the paper, the editor actually called up all the students who had submitted and they said, okay, let's start a club, a writing club, a comics drawing club at the time. Um, and then that from there, I got to know these people, these young people in their, in their, in their 18, their 20s. And then they, they, they were very passionate about comics, reading comics. So every Saturday we will meet then we will we will share what we read, we will share what we read, the books that we read, the artists that we were interested in, and, and that was the time that I was intre- uh, I was introduced to artists like Medias, um, the French artist Bill Sinkiewicz, a lot of Western comic artists, and then also a lot of European artists as well. Because I have we have a we have someone who was who were very fascinated by uh, artists. And that got me to do more research, to get more books from the bookstore. And and this community actually grew bigger and bigger. And um, um, I think being the right being with the right people is quite important. And then the community grows and then we we started to like uh, someone actually started to freelance because the publisher actually saw their work on the paper and then and then we introduced each other to the publisher and then that started our freelance days and that was very early on in, in when I was still a student when I was still going into before going to the army and then after the army then things like that so um, and that community grew I got to know uh, the old, older older freelance artists who were doing it as a business and that they actually taught me how to like treat, see this as a business rather than just a just a, a practice of art and things like that. So you have to manage your client, you have to manage your correspondence, and those are the things that is is actually more important than the craft itself. 
and uh, and also that opens my eyes to see oh I mean the management of things right um, talking to the client knowing what the client wants and 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 that and that's about it I think was that did I answer your question. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll go into it again, though, <laughs> because I want to know now about this comic that you made. As soon as you graduated from university, you made a 200 page comic to sort of prove to yourself that you could do this. You could write a story and draw it. How did it go? What was that like? Well, that, that was really tough um, because uh, my friend, a friend of mine was more enterprising. He actually started a publisher. He got rights to publish so he also wanted to help local artists publish so he routed up a few artists and I also got interested I wanted to do something just to prove to myself that I could actually finish a book and um, I started working on it I started writing to it I, st- I proposed the story to them uh, to a friend who is a boss and he encouraged me to do it um, and that was during my college days so but the, the whole process was slow because I wasn't really experienced in it. So I have to really read and then write and then get inspiration from artists. And I got so much inspiration that I think I, I think I look at too many books. So I too much influenced by too many people. <laughs> and then you, and then they start to tell me that, okay, I think I see the shadows of this artist. I see the shadows of this artist. So that, that was a learning process that I'm actually looking for a style for myself, I did not have a style. I couldn't settle in for a style. Uh, and the writing part was in disarray as well. So uh, lots and lots of learning process through just by just by writing that book alone. So I spent three years preparing for it. And um, and then when I when I was doing my fourth uh, undergraduate years, the fourth year, um, I said, okay. Um, I'm going to put my studies aside. I'm going to portion out half of my time study and then to finish up this book. I couldn't finish the book anyway after I graduated, but I spent another year working on it. So I said, okay, let, let me focus more on the working on this book during, um, uh, but I, I was actually staying in the hospital. So I kind of like, okay, I can actually I, I stay with myself. I stay in a single room. I could focus after my, after my research, after writing my thesis, part of it. And then I was just, portion and then four hours to drawing, writing, and then creating the characters and the sketching. Um, but the, the story grow and grow and I wasn't, it, I wasn't intended, I wasn't intending to make it a 200 page book, but it just, I couldn't, it just grow and grow, I couldn't stop. And then because it's just like, oh, I, I could do this, I could do this, I tried this, I'll try this. And then, and then if you look at the book, it, it's like divided into two, two halves. One half is like a bit like, like uh, Akira Toriyama, and then the second half is like another artist, Shadow and an artist. It's, it's not consistent, but I think it's overall. I think it's a good, good learning experience. So, is is there by any chance a link to this online, this comic? No, I think it's it's so long ago. I think I I do have a few books left on my shelf, and they the papers are all all yellow. This process that you are describing, it reminds me of this comic that I wrote for, I was commissioned to make a comic about uh, Indian politics. And I actually pitched the story to uh, this news agency saying that I want to do this. Here's my story. Here's my idea. And they commissioned me to make a 20 page comic. 
and I kept drawing and drawing and rewriting and redrawing and it became a 90 page comic at the end when I gave it to them and I couldn't edit it down at all. So they published it as online as a 90 page web comic. And that's uh, like the, while you were talking about your comic, I was just thinking what a crazy thing it is to do to write and draw a comic because writing is already a super difficult task. Drawing is then another super difficult task and to take on doing both of those things is absolutely almost insane. It is the most crazy thing I can imagine that I have done in my life and uh, that anybody chooses to do it is almost like taking on the toughest challenge of toughest way to tell a story and then deciding to, to go with it. So uh, did you ever consider just being a writer or just being an artist or was it always both of them for you? I guess it's just a, probably a mix of both. And for me, I like I have a very short attention span. So I can't do just do one thing and then just do that thing for the rest of my life. I have to go on to the next one. I have to go back and forth. I like to write. I like to draw as well. And sometimes I, 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 I publish, actually I published another book in 2018, another comic book. This, this time around, it's 64 pages just 64 pages is, is controlled. So, but, um, and then after that book, I was like, can I do it? I was asking myself, can I do it again? Um, I, I need a rest. <laughs> I took a year, I took two years to finish the book, but um, it got me so tired, but uh, I need to do other things. So I, I can't really say I could, I could just do one thing at one go. I I have to, I have to do several things together. Even, even for drawing and sketching, I have to, I have to, I have to go across digital and then traditional. I can't just stay at one place for too long. Um, but I think in Singapore, it's hard to say that like, I want to be an art writer for the rest of my life it's because um, I think the industry is quite small in Singapore. I think the publishing, the usually publishing is, is quite limited to just vanity publishing. Uh, there's not much of the... Um, publishers are just going doing children's book where the money where the money is, um, exercise, exercise books and things like that. So it's, it's hard to get a publisher who wanted to publish a book for you just entirely because, I mean, it, it's not practical in a sense for them. So that's the thing that we are actually facing in Singapore. And most of the time, if you want to publish a book, uh, we approach the government to give us a grant. So my first book, my friend actually paid me. So he, he was a little bit, grudgingly paying me but i demanded for my payment and things like that so he has to only pay me half of the what he actually promised to pay me because it's the publishing his publishing business is not doing well <laughs> yeah but um and but the second book this second book though in 2018 uh i got a grant from the government agency uh from national heritage board and they gave quite a big sum of money for us to develop our projects as well and then you you can if you want to do something you you approach the government i'm, I'm not too sure whether i can i can tell this say this out to the whole world but <laughs> but a lot of a lot of artists a lot of writers in singapore really rely on the grants giving out by the government 
Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And your second comic book, Kung Fu Do, is very interesting. Also, it reminds me a little bit of this movie I saw called Shaolin Soccer, because I think there is somebody in it who makes dumplings. Tell tell me a little bit about how this idea for this story came to you. How did you decide you wanted to make another comic book and write and draw? So I had this idea like ten years ago, when even before Kung Fu Panda, before all the Kung Fu shows that came out, I was inspired. I was always inspired by Stephen Chow. I love his movie. I love slapsticks, and I have this title. I think after watching his Kung Fu uh, Soccer. I had this title in my mind. I said, I said, I want, I want to do something about this because I want to do something like in the line of kung fu, in the line of martial arts. So, but I only had a, I only have a title in my mind for a long time. So until this opportunity came in, like I need to propose a story to the to the agency that gave me the grant. I have to okay, maybe instead of like instead of uh, making dumpling. Like what you saw in Kofu Soccer, in Kofu Soccer, I would probably make this bread making because I think I saw people doing kneading the dough. It's just it, it looks really entirely like someone training up his strength, and you know you have to knead at the right strength and knead with the right amount of uh, effort to get the bread to rise and things like that. So it's it's a it's a kind of like a mirror effect of uh, how people do their tai chi and things like that. So, yeah, mm. yeah, that's such a good point. I and looking at some of the images of this book, I was thinking the same thing. Um, now, when you uh, decided that now you're going to be a, an artist and a writer, uh, I also find interesting that the time that you took this decision was a very interesting time for all of us who wanted to be artists because there was a lot of. Uh, not only traditional tools, but now these digital tools were coming into the picture, and all these technologies were appearing that allowed us to do art digitally. So, uh, in this time of like great change, like it, I remember like in the late '90s, almost every year everything would change. Like all the hardware capabilities would change completely, and these new softwares would come from nowhere, and everyone was jumping from one thing to another to learn the new great thing that is suddenly possible. So tell me a little bit about this self-education uh, journey for you at this time. Like, how did you start to approach digital tools? Did you already have some affinity, or how how did you go about this? I think I first started using Photoshop um, when I was trying to it, um, design my wedding invitation card. So it was so long ago. I remember the version I was using was Photoshop. Five point five or four, and this allowed me. It this allowed me. I was working on my laptop, but it just allowed me to do layers and then also text editing. So every time I made a mistake in the text, I need to like retype, retype it. But it's so all this while I've been using Photoshop and I've been learning Photoshop from my friend, just by looking at how he actually do his line art and then scan his line art, change, uh, clean up uh, digitally and then fill in the color with Photoshop. So I've been I have the affinity to using Photoshop for a long time. It's not only until uh, when I started working started working in the web company that I I was taught a lot more on Photoshop that I could actually use instead of just filling in colors for for my line my line art I could design buttons I could do interactive uh, functions as well I could I could uh, do image editing 
and um, and that that also helped me to grow as a as a digital artist. But I always wanted to do digital painting, like all these people who uh, like Craig Millens, like Ryan Church, who does who does uh, concept art for Star Wars or uh, Lucasfilm. So I wanted to paint like them, and um, so I tried again. I mean, I, I the the new version came in, but um, I wasn't able to paint like them because it requires you requires me a lot. It requires me to learn how to use a stylus and work on work on tablet, and I have to grow my investment in terms of the tools as well. And then working for that company also helped me to uh, learn other tools like Flash. I mean, they are using Flash, they're using Macromedia freehand, they're using all these things. So I could actually learn a lot more as I was, I was working as a, as in, in this, for this web company. And I was doing website as well. Um, and that expedited me learning this software just um, for my own for my own purpose as well. I, I wanted to learn more so that I could actually use it more for my own uh, creations. And then I started to work as a print designer in 20, from 2003 onwards to 2006. So before that, I had two years of experience as a web designer, and then three years as a print designer. So I, I, um, I was introduced to tools like InDesign, Illustrator, besides Photoshop, and that expanded my repertoire of things that I could use. Um, but I have not learned how to paint it. It was only after like maybe a couple of years later that I started to get more used to working with Wacom and working with uh, digital tools. And then, and then only like five or six years ago, I was introduced to Clip Studio, I bought it. And then that was a time that I could actually use it um, a lot more to create my digital illustrations. And, uh, and also Affinity Designer, that's a great tool. I, I steer away from Photoshop because they started this, uh, this monthly the subscription. subscription, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I turned to Procreate, I turned to Affinity Designer, Affinity Photo, and also Clip Studio Paints. And it, I think I'm learning a lot more from YouTube as well. I think recently, I think when you say that this is a great time for self-learning, I'm trying to learn Blender at the same time. I think YouTube, I fall back on YouTube a lot and I'm watching all these people who are sharing their experiences in using all this software, this application. I'm learning a lot more and I'm starting to learn a lot more than back in the past. A lot more, really, yeah, I learned so much as compared to 10 years ago. I, all this knowledge is like, you know, I have to accumulate over a span of like maybe 10 years, but within a year now, you can learn so much and you're using so much more advanced functions at the time, at this time. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Like I really feel that with the resources we have possible today, you can get over, you can avoid making so many of the unnecessary mistakes and the long road to learning something, you know, like commit all the hundred mistakes instead of that. You can learn from the experience of other people and you can, like, it's 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 really the best time to pick up skills on your own. Like, there are so many ways and so many programs as well. So, for example, you mentioned uh, Adobe and Macromedia and I used to play around with all the various softwares that they had. And... While it was amazing to have them, they are nowhere near as 
as intuitive as something like procreate is today and in my case also although i learned a lot of i i tinkered with photoshop quite a lot i never learned to draw on photoshop and and i only learned to draw digitally after i got a stylus many years later and i started working uh, later after a few years after that i would get procreate and an ipad and that would change everything for me and now when you switched from web design to print uh, there's this quote in this article uh, that i read about you you said that it made you realize that i should never be afraid to try something new just because i have no relevant experience and this quote is so interesting to me because i feel like uh, the idea of relevant experience sometimes it's something that other people want from us before they let us do something but so many times we ourselves hold ourselves back thinking that i don't have relevant experience i don't have the right to do this thing or the right to try this thing so uh, i really took a lot of uh, interest in this quote you mentioned the passion like anybody can learn anything if they have the passion and the right attitude what was this for you like did you was it was it easy for you to get in and start learning these things i think the journey is is hard at that time i was telling myself like when i was working for this web company i i went in knowing how to do certain things and i was actually hired for knowing how to do certain things especially for uh create because they wanted me to do uh, original it so i was uh for half a year i was researching into creating original characters for them they wanted to do a web animation which did not take off eventually um but that because that's because the investors actually pull out um At that time, I was willing. I was. I told myself that I was willing to uh, learn from scratch, and I'm not. I should not be afraid of uh, learning from someone younger because th- there's always these young people who are like know everything. But the reason why they know everything is because they spend twenty four hours working on that thing, and they're learning a lot. And I shouldn't be because I, I was quite. compared to the rest of the company I was older uh, I, I told myself okay I shouldn't let my try affect me and I should always learn from people who know more I um, I need to humble myself I, I don't have all these words at the time but I was just telling myself okay find any opportunity to learn as much as possible so that you can actually get things going for yourself and for the company I'm always preoccupied with okay how can I contribute to something how can I contribute contribute to the company I wasn't affected by the fact that my boss would stand beside me and I say okay uh, can I change this can you change this shadow to the little you know can you do this can you do this, can you do this? but I wasn't frustrated because hey I think I'm actually trying to understand the psychology behind his design philosophy his his design sense even though he 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 asked me to just move this a little bit to the right a little bit to the top take this make this form bigger but as you see the entire product emerging from on the screen you start to understand hey this is oh this is the that's the design his design sense his design language um okay i have to understand this design language of his and yeah and then in the future i could actually use it so it's like understanding a client what he wants even when you when i was freelancing for people um i have to listen to you know even though they might sound unreasonable at the moment um but it makes sense to them because this is this is what they want to do so it helps me also 
you know, during my freelance days to be able to sit down and listen to people. And that's, that's a listening, that's a listening skill, actually. So, um, and then when I was, when I moved to the print, I was doing print design, I was introduced to InDesign, you know, the software InDesign Illustrator. I have to use them because this is what the printer would use, would do uh, for my design. Um, and then they have a completely new, then the company would have a new, completely new design sense as well. So to serve their function. And I have to tell myself, okay, this is not, I know, I know a lot, maybe in the comma, but I have to learn something more now because I'm, a, I'm in a different company. I'm a di on a different management team as well. So they serve different function. So I think I have to tell myself, okay, this is another opportunity for me to listen, to hear, uh, to source out, to sense out uh, a different design language, a different design philosophy at the same time. Yeah, that that's such a such a great lesson there, you know, to to put aside our ego and to really uh, absorb a learning opportunity because you are absolutely right. Learning opportunities are everywhere and it doesn't have to do with the age of the person that is teaching us that is in the place to teach us something. It sometimes doesn't even have to do with skill level. Sometimes there is something you can learn from someone who is less skilled than you, less experienced than you. They just have something to add from their perspective that can become a teaching moment for us. And I really love this attitude that you talk about in which you take even things that would say that would frustrate someone if they were to think of themselves as the artist, to be frustrated by the demands of a boss or the, dim, or the you know, the like uh, clients can sometimes be not very articulate about what they want. They also just have a feeling of what they want and they have a feeling that they are dissatisfied, but they can't say what it is. And at that time, it is so important to have that attitude of listening and trying to understand them. And that's that's so valuable. I also love that this, you are you seem to be on this constant path of picking up lessons and picking up ideas and adding to your knowledge. Uh, soon after these things, you would go on to study uh, animation as well. You went to the Savannah College of Arts and Designs, if I'm getting the name right. Tell me a little bit about this decision because uh, I'm really interested because firstly, this is an education in a subject completely different from your previous education. Secondly, after working and spending so many years self-educating yourself, how did you arrive at this decision that you want to enter a program again? Okay, that's a quite interesting question. <laughs> okay, when I was working for this print company, print design company, and I got a panic attack. No, it's not a real panic attack. It's just a panic. I just felt panic because a lot of my friends around me, my wives, my brother, my younger brother, and my youngest, my younger brother's wife, they all had the opportunity to receive a scholarship from the government again to study abroad and they actually spent like maybe three four years abroad as a student studying for the, uh, the undergrad studies so uh, within the family i was kind of like not the only one but i was not i did not have this opportunity to to go overseas for my studies so everything was studied in singapore 
So I panicked and said, okay, I'm getting a little bit older. So would I be able to have this opportunity? If I want to study abroad, I need a lot of money because it's, it's not just going to the school. I need to support myself as well. And I'm married and with my wife, uh, I'm married and I have a house to support. I have a mortgage to pay. Would I get, I, I, I panicked because I said, um, I don't think I will have the opportunity to go overseas to study, to experience life in a, in a foreign country. And I pray about it. So, and then right at that time, uh, the government, one of the agencies was giving out scholarship and I stumbled on that application and they said, this scholarship would allow you to go overseas, study overseas or study local. Uh, it, it can be a, it can be a degree. It also, it can be a, a, a master's or it can be anything. So I wrote in my application, I sent my application. I spent two weeks uh, writing my application, writing my personal artist statement, things like that. And I got through. So that was like a miracle, my, a miracle that happened for me. And, uh, but the next panic came in because I had to settle. Within half a year, I'd have to settle a school to go to. And uh, I have to deal with, uh, 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 I have to deal with enough savings to pay up front myself before I get a so-called rebate from the scholarship I received. I need to pay up front. So there was a lot of hurdle to get through. Of course, I mean, all this hurdle has been overcome. I was there. The reason why I wanted to study overseas is because I think if you if you are cooped up in a country for too long, your your exposure is limited. And I w- I really wanted to be exposed to a different culture, a different way of life, not just for the sake of studying. The study just comes come up later, but more importantly, I just want to experience life. I w- I wanted to leave, abandon my comfort zone for thirty over years. I need to experience, I need to go through that hurdle of overcoming about on communicating or communication with the different types of people, I think to see different things. At the same time to see, to spend a longer time in a country that I'm, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with. So that was actually my objective, more than just want to study. On, on the side, I wanted to learn how to do 3D animation. And, but the main objective is to experience something else other than Singapore yeah, itself. Yeah, to, to grow yeah. as a person and to have a, a deeper understanding of our big, big world that we live in. Tell me about some of these impressions then. What did you pick up in your time in the US? Let's Let's look at it this way. What were some ideas that you had in your mind that were shattered when you actually went to the US? Like some preconceptions. So Savannah is in the, is in the South. I discovered a lot of poverty in the U.S., which is uh, beyond my imagination at the time. So the South, right? The South Savannah, uh, Georgia. So there was a time that I realized, hey, uh, I'm not too sure whether I should say this, but there was a lot of people living in poverty. There was a uh, plenty of racial discrimination. And the area that I was, I was staying, we rented a room in, in a house, in an apartment. Um, and that was like a little bit further away from the university uh, uh, region. So um, I witnessed like police holding a gun towards a, a, 
car and that kind of thing. So it was just happened right in front of our house. Those are the experiences that I saw. It's just like living in a in a movie in a sense. I managed to get to know people, like you know, they talk about their lives and things like that. And those are the precious things that I learned from people, talking to people, talking to um to my ten my my landlord who is a elderly man staying on his own and things like that. So getting to know people from the church as well at the, uh, around the area in Savannah. So knowing, I think, I think talking to these people actually uh, helped me to open my mind to to what I have, what I perceive how American life would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah so true. Uh, now talking about the animation and learning actually in university, I'm curious. What was the what was the biggest difference for you from you know the now you've spent the last almost ten years self educating and now you are in a program where there is classes at a certain time and there are assignments and there are people who are giving you lectures. What were the things you appreciated and was it difficult for you to adjust into this setup? There wasn't anything to adjust to because I I love to be a student. I love to sit. And listen to a lecture,、uh, whether it's good or bad. But、um, I think every everything is just a learning opportunity for me. So I love to be part of the class, right? To get a feel of becoming a student again. And I talk to students who are who are better, who know more. There wasn't a lot of adjusting too, because I really enjoy the time as student. Attending, attending lecture, listening to.、Uh, I took art history as well. I love art history. We did contemporary art history, contemporary art history of America. I enjoyed that, even though I had to write essays every week. I love it because I I got to read a lot more. It, because it's it's just I really just enjoying the time that I could just like you know sit and learn and listen, watch a lot more. Uh, example. I think the school actually opened up a library of、uh, stuff that I wasn't really familiar、uh, with when I was back in Singapore. So I, I embraced the fact that the teacher was actually showing example,、uh, movie example, encouraging us to watch this、uh, film, giving us an opportunity to do live drawing, which I don't really have the opportunity to back in Singapore, even as an artist. I did attend. Some, but not like a weekly basis. So, you know that kind of weekly basis where you are, when you are told to do this and that, you know that kind of thing, following a routine. I enjoy that because even back when I was a freelance artist, I had to you know tell myself to sit down and do work for the next four or five hours without stop, just to build up that discipline of doing something、uh, consistently. So I think Savannah actually gave me the opportunity to kind of like sit and listen and be and keep learning for two years, right? For two years,、uh, learning something new, and I enjoy it. I enjoy the fellowship between the students. I enjoy talking to students who are from America, from other countries as well. And、uh, besides learning how to do animation, you know, especially I, I love talking. I love listening to. American artists who were well, our lecturers,、uh, lecturers who were working for Disney, talking about their experience as an animator, how they decide to to leave animation and to start teaching, 
and those are those are very precious experiences that I don't I didn't have any opportunity to to hear back in Singapore. If I wasn't in Savannah, uh, I wouldn't have this opportunity. I wouldn't have this chance to listen and hear this from these people. And they have they have many years of experience that you know that I mean they have many years of experience that they want to share the things things that they, I want to learn from them. But I, I feel that two years is not enough. Actually, I could spend more. I could spend more, but I think the funds ran out, so I have to finish my studies within two years. I get my masters and then start start started my internship with Disney <laughs> and try to earn back the money again. Things like that. Tell me about the internship. When the internship with Disney was with Imagineering Parks Online, so uh, I was doing. I was a visual artist for this this particular division who is creating concepts for online games for Disney, Disney Imagine Imagineering. Well, I I enjoy it. I could, I mean, I could contribute to uh, working as a team, right? Creating visuals, creating visuals from concepts that uh, my boss actually. Uh, uh, brief me about so quite invaluable experience too because I think these people are so passionate I mean the people there everyone is so passionate about uh, Disney about creating concepts and things like that um, and then I got to know a few people who who have been proposing concepts but have not been used for like uh, ever you know but they are still continuing doing that things like that so yeah very cool yeah this is this is fascinating and I like again I'm just really amazed and I'm really enjoying the fact that you are approaching everything with such an attitude to learn and to be open to new ideas and new experiences in in this respect again tell me uh, now about how urban sketching came into your life when was the first time you heard of it or participated in such an activity I heard about urban sketching when uh, I was in US, approaching to the end of my internship with Disney. I was uh, in California back then. I was staying in Burbank and Glendale. I think someone sent me, I'm not too sure, I, I couldn't remember exactly how I stumbled on urban sketches, but it was the urbansketches.org. I saw their website and I saw how Gabby uh, was proposing that sketching on location was great and things like that. So. Um, that was my first exposure and I wanted to get into the bandwagon uh, as quickly as possible. I was still in US and I joining Urban Sketches wasn't in my mind as a correspondent wasn't in my mind yet but I uh, I kind of like took on the spirit of sketching and I kind of like went out and told my got my friends to to sketch with me. And then we went to the restaurant, we went to coffee shops and we started to draw each other and things like that. But I wasn't really thinking about uh, urban sketches at the time. So until I was I was about to come back to Singapore, I was planning to come back to Singapore at the time, a friend of mine actually uh, wrote to me um, and said, oh, that's... Um, uh, they, he 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 actually, he was actually he was actually part of this urban sketches the Singapore chapter, and I told him that I'll be coming back to Singapore, and then he also offered me a job in his company, uh, and then he also invited me to join this group of people sketching on location, and uh, at that time it was the first two, just the first two meetings in Singapore, so I I got to know this group of people who love to draw on, on location. And they started, and then they, they actually started this uh, this local chapter in Singapore. 
And that was the time I got to know uh, Madame Tia and, uh, and later Paul Wang and later uh, a lot more people. I mean, but the groups are small. And they were, they were uh, I love it because it was like, hey, there are people who are drawing on location on a regular basis. And on a regular basis means uh, besides the every week, every last month, every last Saturday of the month that we meet, we also like started to meet up and draw a sketch almost every week. So that actually started, um, even though I was sketching on location for, for uh, other time, but it's not on a regular basis. I realized that, hey, this is, this is quite fun because I don't really feel lonely anymore. You know, there are all, all these people coming together to draw together. And yeah. So after one and a half years, yesterday I attended an Urban Sketchers meetup for the first time. And while you were saying this, I was just thinking about how good it felt to be sketching with other people again. It's something that I've missed for so long. Um, now, I'm thinking, uh, you have been interested in art all your life. You have been drawing and writing all your life and all kinds of uh, various things as well. Like there is work you did on commission, work you did for clients in a company. There is art you made for yourself. You made art for comic books that you made for yourself. And after all of this, and then also the education in animation in Georgia, what was it that urban sketching still had to offer you? What did you What did you get from it that drew you to it when you have already been pursuing art in so many ways before? Yeah, very good question. Because I, I mentioned that urban sketches was done on a regular basis, and and that built up a lot of uh, you know the practice, you know, this, even. This, it's not just, I mean, to, to do something good, so just to do something well, you need to keep doing it and things like that. And I realized that I got better in drawing. I got, I got better in, in drawing. Uh, when I first started uh, drawing on location with these people, I, I wasn't able to sketch a building as well as I wanted. So I was fascinated by how uh, Madame Tiar actually, you know, he, she, she is an architect. So I got to I got to see how he approached uh, drawing buildings uh, with the point of view of an architect, how to see structure, how to see perspective. And I was like, in my lines were so stiff when I was drawing a building. And I really hit, I hated my lines in a sense, I, I couldn't bear to see my life. It's so boring. It's like, how can I break through that, that stalemate in a sense? So I saw what Madame Pierre has done in her sketches, and I really, really was inspired by how he actually draw, turning a building into something so, um, so beautiful and so lively. And I realized that, hey, you are, I learned something from her that, okay, you don't need to use straight lines to draw buildings. So the lines can be a little bit more curvy, a little bit more, uh, you know, trembling, the kind of thing. So I learned techniques from there. Uh, I tried, to, I wanted to do my, I wanted to draw my buildings as lively as possible. Besides drawing people, I love drawing people. I'm still drawing people. But, um, you know, and then she also introduced me to, to using thousand pen that is like bent with a bent lid, full day they call it. Also, that opens my mind to, oh, wow, you know, 
this is something that I have not realized that at the time. That, that was 2010. That was 2010 already. And that got me to be interested in, okay, this is a part of uh, art that I do not know a lot. Okay, I decided, okay, I need to start to look at lines with a different pair of eyes again. Lines are not just like, you know, it can be so much more expressive. So that, that was the thing that I learned from there. And so, but I also realized that, you know, you need to do it every day. You need to do it in a regular basis to get better. And Urban Sketches actually allowed me to see that as, a, as an important uh, learning journey as well. You can't just do something once a week. You have to do it on a daily, regular basis to get better. And I saw, and I saw how my my sketches got a lot more expressive, a lot more uh, with better composition as I do it more and more. And um, and don't stop when you are not getting. So I told myself, don't stop when you are getting bad results. Just treat it as a learning process as well. And uh, and it's just, just grow and grow, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this this sounds so much like my uh, journey with urban sketching also that I just, I feel like telling you a little bit about it. After I decided that I want to be a full-time writer and cartoonist, I did not know how to draw at that time. Like my cartoons were stick figures and... I was a better writer than I was an artist. So I would be very funny. And those stick figures worked for me. Like I was reasonably successful with them. But my ambition was that I wanted to draw properly. Like I wanted to draw people and I wanted to put them in a very specific place. Like stick figures just uh, live in the air. They don't have a background. They don't have a setting. But I wanted to say things and tell stories that had a specific setting. So I wanted to learn to draw those things about how we how we live in our worlds. And that was when urban sketching sort of helped me to see like buildings in a new way or cafes and interior spaces in a new way. You said uh, like this realization that came to you with archite- uh, drawing architecture was that straight lines are not necessary. And I'm thinking of this idea, straight lines are not necessary. And then I'm thinking about the value of regular practice and uh, doing uh, pursuing things that are interesting to you and i think like i feel like this is the pathway along which people would find what is their style this is something that i often uh, talk about on the show and in a few workshops i've given also that straight lines are very overrated they are not necessary at all and the more we lean on what we think of are our mistakes the closer we come to finding what is our style, because style is actually just an accumulation of different mistakes that we learn to sort of deal with. How do you feel about this idea? This is just something that I've been thinking about for my work. I mean, I've been trying, I've been grappling with this question for a long time too, because uh, I usually tell people that I don't really have a style of drawing. I don't have a fixed style because I think, uh, I think the main reason was the main reason is I, I I have a short attention span and and I get tired of certain way of drawing if I'm if I've done more than like maybe 20, 30 pages of that particular approach, I need to I need to change. And and the the approach of drawing changes as well with different tools. So I don't have a fixed way of drawing or sketching and 
uh, if I use a particular fountain pen, um, I will try to exploit that pen as much as possible, how the pen could do, what kind of lines you can use. And I would use that, you know, the drawing would be growing from that realization rather than trying to, um, rather than trying to get the pen to do what I want the pen to do. So it's more like the tool is changing my style or my way of uh, sketching more than I try to draw with the pen, right? You know, the pen is kind of like a extension of your hand, but it is also leading and guiding you uh, along uh, because of its ability, its ability. So different pens produces different pens. And I, from there, I realized that, hey, there's so much more to deal with instead of just like coming up with a style and getting a style to follow you in all the time. And uh, so you realize that in my sketchbook, the entire sketchbook, every two other pages would have a different material, would have a different tool, uh, would have a different approach to composition, would have a different way of drawing people. I would change up using a fountain pen to a brush pen the following page. I make, I make it a point to not use the same approach in the same style or the same tool within, even within a few pages of the sketchbook. It's like every page has to be different. And, and I love it because it's like, it challenges me to, to not lean on something that I'm comfortable with, right? And, uh, and with that approach, it's like, I'm discovering more and more of what a tool can do. And uh, I think the journey is still carrying, continuing on because it's like I, when I'm when I'm given a new pen, I have to, you know, um, but that slows me down a lot because it's like you know, uh, people could draw fast, but uh, I'm I'm also quite sometimes I'm quite uh, I'm slowed down because of that in a sense that uh, sometimes I'm affected by you know not having oh yeah I can't I can't I can't use this color pencil fully because I, I don't really understand it yet. So uh, once in a while I'll be thrown into some despair because uh, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? So, so I mean, it's just uh, a learning journey. I, I love what you said because uh, so as a mechanical engineer, there is this design philosophy that I really enjoyed. I really imbibed. It was that form follows function. So uh, what tool you use and the way that that tool has dynamics with the medium you use it in, that determines what the final output is. So very much exactly like you said, like if I use a brush pen, I will not be drawing the same way as I do when I use a fountain pen. And I love using the Fude nib also. And that uh, compared with the regular fountain pen, again, produces a slight shift in how I draw. I have been frustrated for many years because I am not able to draw the same way when I use a traditional fountain pen on paper and when I use the stylus on the iPad. And that has irritated me for a long time because I think that I should be able to do it. But exactly for the reasons you mentioned, like when the way that you are contacting the surface is changed, when the thing that you are holding is different, when the way it reacts to all of those things and the feedback, it the tactile feedback you get back from it changes, then the way that you draw the line changes. And all of those things just follow from that very organically. And maybe if we are loyal to that, then we are, even in the way that we change, if we are loyal to ourselves, 
maybe we can still have some notion of you know drawing in the way that only don would or drawing in the way that only nishant would and that's that's something to be happy with i wonder how difficult it is for you then when you say that you know you enjoy changing your style every few pages how difficult is it then to draw a 64 page comic book how do you do that because you can't change style yeah was hard yeah i have to i have to really remind myself that okay this book have to be consistent throughout. I mean, the pages have to be, the characters have to look the same. So the one thing that I did to overcome that is to, okay, I need to just use a certain set of tools. Um, even the screen tones, I will set it like a, you know, like a blueprint. I will have the character design, the mock-up uh, design play side by side to, to the software that I'm using, the Clip Studio Paint. So I have to keep going and looking back and looking back. So going back through all the pages as well, changing up things that is not consistent. So those those are the things that I need to, um, yeah, adjust just so that everything stays um, as a production as a whole. In a sense. Yeah. So uh, now, uh, Don, when you were growing up, you obviously learned to draw, and you did a lot of your drawing early in with traditional tools. So there are pens, markers, pencils, etc. And now more and more, not only your own work, but also a lot of art that is being made is being made digitally. And just a little while ago, you were telling me about how, you know, we should always learn even from people who are younger than us, because specifically some of them are, there's this term for it, they are digital natives. They grew up with devices around them. So they use them with a comfort level that we will never have. And I found that to be true in my life. I take uh, TikTok tips from people who are literally children. <laughs> they are smarter with those things than I am. So I learn from them. Now, so everything is moving towards this digital stuff. You have uh, acquired your skills on the analog level and then you have translated them to the digital level. How do you feel about your experience with respect to how people these days are experiencing their, you know, how they are starting and getting into their art journeys? Do you feel that, uh, it, do you feel there's anything lost if someone is purely a digital artist or purely an analog artist? I think so. I think I think tools are there for us to to use, but I think they're just tools. So whether you're, I mean, I have friends who just stayed with traditional media all his all their lives and not doing any digital, but once in a while they would just pick up a Wacom to play to draw. On their on their iPhone or their some the Samsung Galaxy Tab and things like that. So, um, I think tools are just tools. I think you you have to find something that you are comfortable with. I mean, for me, it's it's just my it's just my personal practice. Um, I'm not too sure about others, but uh, I made it. I'm I'm always curious about what how this thing will work and how certain media will work. So I, I like to switch. I like to change up my approaches. But this is very personal. I think this is my own my personal approach. Uh, I can't say this is actually the best way to do it because I think I feel that if you're focused in just one or a few or limited uh, palette of uh, tools, you 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 have the opportunity to get better and better and better and be a lot more skillful in in using that that particular tool and things like that. And for me, that I mean, I mean personally, I feel that I'm actually slowed down a lot because I like to, I, I have a short attention span, and and that that is my disadvantage because I can't stay on one thing for too long, so that also impedes 
my learning process too. <laughs> but I think for me, I do not, I, I don't want to lose out see? because if I see something interesting, I will have to, I have to learn it, I have to do it, I have to try it. And uh, uh, I even though that I know that there'll be a learning curve, right? Sometimes it's steep, sometimes it's gentle, but uh, I try not to be affected by it because I mean, for me, it, I don't. I don't really want to lose out in the sense that I, I'm afraid that I, I may not know some certain things if I don't do it now or learn it now. I'm just. I, I'm just afraid that okay, if I don't do it, I might lose the opportunity to do it. I might lose the the push to do it. I might lose the energy uh, to do it. So I'll, I'll just switch. Right. I'll just switch and do something else for that. So uh, in in my case, my short attention span uh, results in. Uh, me doing drawings a certain way so that uh, now I find I have observed that I cannot do any urban sketch for longer than one hour. At the 60 minute mark, I begin to get uh, irritable and I'm distracted and I want to go somewhere else and draw something else. So that has led me to uh, reduce my tools. I use only fountain pen and I draw only with lines and then to be quick. And that's become part of what I do, sort of using my short attention span to work to my advantage. But uh, what I find really interesting about what you're saying is having a short attention span, but also having this uh, deep desire to keep learning because learning does require us to slow down a little bit. It does require us to give attention for longer than sometimes we are comfortable. And now you are learning uh, this 3D design software, Blender, which I've heard has a steep learning curve. Tell me about this experience of uh, learning Blender. What what brought you to it and how are you going about learning? Okay, I had this exposure to Maya when I was in Savannah. And I spent uh, two years uh, doing modeling. And the first day of my animation class, I have to ask a classmate, beside me, which one is the Maya icon? <laughs> I was a, okay, I was a little embarrassed because it's like, but you no, know, I told myself, I'm, I'm new here. I'm completely a new noob and I have to learn from scratch again. I, so I carried this attitude back with me as well. So I've been carrying this attitude all the time because, you know, this, this, this classmate of mine was like 10 years younger than me. I was like, you know, so old in the class. And I have to ask the person, what, where is that my icon? Which one should I click? And when I opened it, I couldn't even open the file because I, I don't know how to go about doing it. Everyone else was actually animating and following, following instructions from the lecturer already. And I was still trying to get to learn how to move the cursor, how to move the 3D object and stuff like this. Um, it, and then, Okay, then I told myself, okay, if I have to learn from scratch, I have to really, really learn from scratch. So uh, when when the lecturer said you have to submit one or two exercises, so I kind of purposefully did an exercise like five more times. So I, I would close it down. I would do it all over again. I finish it. I would, I would do it up another time again. So re repetition, so it happened. And then I realized the repetition is the key to learn something new, to get familiar with the tools. So repetition after repetition, then I got it. So, and I did quite well actually, even better than 
some people with uh, already with Maya experiences at the time. And that, that attributed to repetition and repetition. So when I was learning Blender, I remember the way I learned Maya and that, uh, when I was in Savannah. So I, I would I would repeat it, I'll repeat, I'll repeat, and I'll repeat again and again and again. So that helped me a lot. I mean, that's that's a thing that pulled me through to you know, I would watch the YouTube again, I would do it again, I it again. So the attitude of learning is is not to uh, say it's difficult. You are just not doing it enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I like I couldn't agree more. Like this has been my like I have learned that this is the only way that I learn things. I only learn things when I do them again in many, many different ways. Like sometimes I have an idea and I uh, like for a story, I have to write it out two or three times before it really settles into my mind. And I find that it's a way to almost until it becomes implicit, I am not able to exercise my control over it. And if I have to actively think about it, then it becomes more difficult for me to work at it. So I, I keep repeating it until it becomes implicit. The understanding becomes implicit to me, very natural to me. And then I'm able to do these things. Now I'm thinking about working as a freelance illustrator. Now you mentioned that even when you were growing up, the idea of working as an artist was not a practical idea. So there are fewer examples in front of you in society. There are fewer opportunities in, in, in work and in the society. How has that evolved over the years now for you? Now, you've been working as a freelance artist, as a freelance illustrator for so many years. How do you see things uh, changing in the, in the place that you live in Singapore? Has, is the attitude around freelance work changing? Is the freelance work itself changing? I think over the years, I think there are more and more opportunities for, um, I think that uh, Singapore is also open up to, for, I think there are more advertising companies. Uh, I mean, publishing is still quite limited, but uh, advertising is a way to go into, and as an artist, that's freelance for, I think, um, I think more and more opportunities. I think also uh, Singapore is getting more animation as well more animation jobs, games, design. I think the setback is more like you have to treat your freelance work as a as as a as as a job, you know. It's it's not just an artist, but I think you have to learn how to manage it. And then you have to how to get yourself out there at the same time. Um, so it's important to continue with changing out your portfolio as well at the same time for the years and not just stay stay doing one thing for too long. Uh, you also need to manage your portfolio in the sense that you need to show your client what you can do. Uh, and then if you look carefully, if you look uh, if you look close enough, I think there are a lot of jobs out there for, for any artist who want to, to be a freelance artist. You just have to look at the right places and you just have to kind of like be consistent in, in the sense of communicating to people you, you need to do cold calls. It's just like a sales position where you need to bring in business for yourself. Treat it as a business rather than, rather than call yourself an artist. You are a businessman. You are managing your own business. I'm thinking about being a freelancer and I want to just ask you an open-ended question here. How would you, in uh, your idea, differentiate between an artist, the word artist and the word illustrator? What are, what are some differences between them? I think it's the same. I think illustrator is 
it's probably a, a more specific term for artists who are illustrating for for drawing for a function for a client for a specific uh, application. Artist is I think artist is just a general term that says well you are you you deal with art and you you're painting you're drawing. I think you're also an animator. So I think artist is a broad term that describes where a career whereby you are spending more time in in creating uh, visual components visual visual stuff yeah yeah i'll tell you uh, how i came to this question over the last few episodes i've been speaking to a lot of people who um who are artists and who are also illustrators and uh, something that i've been noticing is that some of them who are freelance artists you know they 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 have plans for what they want to do they know the things they want to make for example just a just one example they might know what kind of drawings they want to make and then they go about finding who can pay them for it <laughs> to put a to put it simply and then there are some certain uh, artists slash illustrators who whose work is determined by what comes to them and then those are the things they work upon project to project to project is is there a, is that a difference that you see also maybe for yourself or maybe for someone around you i think the definition of illustration or illustrator in singapore is like you are serving a function so you 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 would you will learn you will know what to do um you have certain things that you you can do as an artist as an illustrator but it's more of like um talking to a client meeting up with a client and then also serving uh the the end game is more like you know this is what they want to do and then we are just serving as as part of that that uh, fulfilling the plans um there's also another part whereby you already wanted to do something and then you are selling what you can do as well i think i think there's no specific i don't see it as a like a, there's a specific uh um ends to it yeah 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 you're you're correct i think your art you have street scenes and then there are buildings in your art but the far and away the central appeal of your art is the people that you feature in it and you don't necessarily just depict them doing what they're doing you exaggerate a little bit of pose you exaggerate a little bit of expression uh, tell me a little bit about this fascination for people now before you started urban sketching and after you started urban sketching how did this uh, your interest in human activity around you change i mean my greatest influence was in comics so i love to read comics and comics is always full of characters and that allowed that i wanted to be better in drawing people drawing humans drawing people in in what they're doing and their actions and things like so and I, that brought me to want to draw more and urban sketching actually also gave me the opportunity to i think sit and observe people and draw people on on trains and coffee shops and so that this has been a really great conversation by the way i i love sometimes when you have conversations with people and then you find that they also think like you and then you feel like oh this is not just me so i feel less silly knowing that you also have similar ideas about so many things as me so this was this has been super lovely so far thanks so much <laughs> thanks so much for the nice words i'm quite happy to to see that you have in, in, you have a kind of interview a lot of my heroes in the in your program like heroes like uh 
Donald Coley, you know, uh, Virginia Hine. And I was actually listening to Rob. So, I mean, I, he was a, he's a friend. So I met him a couple of times in, during the symposium and also in Hong Kong, I went to visit him. And uh, that reminded uh, me of all, all this conversation that we had. And so I was like, oh, I should, I should, I should get in touch. Of, I should get in touch with him again <laughs> to talk to him and things like that. Yeah, and it's quite, it's quite inspiring to hear all these people. And I mean, back to the questions of drawing people, I'm always fascinated by people and the way because of the influence of comic, I tend to draw um, the people more a little bit more exaggerated because uh, my my objective is to get the gesture a lot uh, clarified more in the drawing because if you are just copying uh, the figure as you see as you observe it, your drawing gets a little bit more uh, still less light in a sense so life is being injected in your drawing by exaggerating and the exaggeration is it's not because you want to exaggerate for the purpose of exaggerating. It's more of having more clarity in your drawing. And that, that's, uh, that's about it. And also, um, the process of drawing is more of like, because I, I know a little bit caricature as well. I see drawing people as a form of uh, caricature, but not exaggerating to the, to the point where, you know, uh, it's too cartoony, too stylized, or it's also, when I draw people, I want to reflect life at the same time. I want to uh, have a bit of um, some resemblance of okay, some resemblance, at least some resemblance to what you see and not entirely different. So I see that drawing process as a bit of like a photography, but not as copying exactly as you said. Yet you still want to see some resemblance so that, you know, you're drawing the person. I mean, you can't you can't distort distort that person so much that you don't really recognize. Uh, so that is always my objective of drawing people. And sometimes because of that, I think I enjoy the fact that people actually look at my drawing and say, hey, "I've seen this person before." Uh, I was showing I was uh, drawing people in in the food places where people eat as a, like a community. In up to, uh, it's called hawker centers, food centers. So there's this small little community, this small marketplace that I, I like to draw. I like to draw hawkers. I like to draw people who are selling their food stuff. And uh, I showed this drawing to a, another uh, a friend. I said, hey, um, who also lives in the area as well. He could actually recognize uh, the person. Oh, this is from that store. This guy is from that store and things like that. So that's my purpose. It's, it's, uh, it's, like, it's like a mirror of what I, what I observe. It's, is recording your journey as an artist and as an as an observer, and um, I mean it's not wrong to to be stylized, right? Is uh, my friend stylized his drawing all the time, and I'm always questioning him. Uh, why aren't you drawing with some resemblance to what you see? Why are you? It's like a totally. But I like his drawing because it's I can't I really I couldn't really draw what he how he how he how he did it, but. Uh, it's always my question, like, should I be drawing with resemblance or should I be totally creating something different from my observe? Yeah, I, th that, that question is always on my mind also for uh, two kinds of reasons. One is a practical reason because I sometimes draw on trains 
people leave when I'm only halfway through drawing them. So I have to combine their head with someone else's body and someone else's legs. So therefore, <laughs> I'm okay. not I'm not uh, really drawing a, the person, but I'm drawing like a mixture of lots of things. And the second idea is that I sometimes think of uh, what I'm doing. Like I, I love to draw people and I love to draw people in crowded places. But what am I drawing? Like, am I drawing the person or is that person just a placeholder for the idea that, hey, there is a person shopping for uh, vegetables here? And is that particular person important or is that idea important? And which one of the two should I be loyal towards? Yeah, exactly. Is um, You know, in, in animation, so if you're drawing people as a practice, uh, animators are always talking about shapes, about simplifying, about, and there's a lot of focus on gesture. But that's not the... That's not the end to it. So, so I need to when I'm drawing people, I need to see something different. I need to see something different from just practicing gesture or just practicing shapes. But of course, all these things actually come in, into play at the same time. And drawing gesture is a way of exaggeration as well. I mean, uh, in most figure drawing, when you are drawing gestures, it's drawing short poses. It's all about exaggeration. It's all about having clarity. So I actually use that principle in my in my sketching of people. Um, when the person is bending his back, I, when I draw it, I have to make the back bend a little bit more for clarity. And also, and, and when you're doing that, it brings out, it brings out the gesture even more. And uh, I'm also using shapes, the shape design. Uh, I simplify. So if you're, if you're trying to copy then it defeats the purpose because the whole process of drawing and looking is all about assimilating what you see. And then the, the process of simplifying is also, it tests you on how much you understood that uh, particular pose or that particular observation of the person. And that part, is the, that part is the design part. The design part is about simplifying, about using shape language, about using shape design. So that adds to just, you know, Adds more, so I'm using principles of what I learned from animation into drawing, into drawing and sketching people, and that creates a lot more expression in a sense. Yeah, and uh, when you use the word clarity, it makes me think of so one of my favorite uh, comic artists of all time is Will Eisner, and he wrote this fantastic book about uh, how to draw comics, and it's a book that I've read cover to cover many times, and I have taken many ideas from it. And one of the most important things that sticks with me is that when anybody is reading a comic, it could take me two, three, four days to make one panel. But sometimes maybe the reader will spend only one second on that panel. Maybe even less. Like some people read comic books very fast. And sometimes they don't reread them to look at just the, uh, just the art. So the point of the art is to use that one second and to say something. So clarity is also about being able to communicate something very complex, something not necessarily verbal, but even non-verbal things in an instant so that you don't, something that doesn't require too much time investment from the viewer. Yeah, exactly. Totally. 100% to it. I think you said it quite well. That's the thing that I learned from animation because it's like the short time, that frame, that, that shot is just staying on the screen for one second. You need a clear silhouette. 
that shapes. So the silhouette plays a part in helping people to the viewer to understand what the what you're trying to communicate. And sketching people is the same. So it's more like I try to incorporate all this understanding of animation into this caricature, even character design as well. Character design is about stereotyping. It's about uh, drawing the. It's about drawing out the essence of the person. And it's a good test because the person that you're drawing on location, right? He is going to disappear within a minute. He's going to go off in a minute. So what it, it, it trains me to look for the essential of his facial features, of his uh, hair, of his the way he sits, uh, this proportion. How can I exaggerate it? And within, it's a test of time. Is that like you need to just spend five seconds to ten seconds. Once you can get, once you can, once you can understand what you're seeing, it's easier to draw. And also, I realized that I'm also drawing a lot from memory, and I'm training my memory to, I mean, to remember what I see within that ten second. And my, I mean, the more you, the more you do it, right? The, I mean, the the vo the vocabulary is there, the library of uh, poses is there. So sometimes you you just need to like draw ten seconds of it, and the rest you can fill it up. And but I I need to tell I need to ask myself what's the difference between if I'm if I'm not drawing the person with some resemblance, what's what's the point of drawing on location? I mean, besides sharpening up your observation. So what's your answer to that? I still I stick to my principle. I need to draw some resemblance just to satisfy myself that I'm actually there. If not, then I could I could I could take a. I could take a picture of the person and I can, I can just draw it. And I'm, I'm, I'm also drawing from images as well. I mean, I, I don't really just stop drawing from on location, but I like, I love to draw from images because uh, that increases the library of uh, characters that I can, I can see. I, I mean, Pinterest and Google has like so much resources and I want to build up the resources in my own library at the same time. Yeah, such a good point. Like I send out this newsletter to people who like my art and I once described this thing as a library of good lines that I am building in my head. So I try to, and I do most of my drawing from observation. So if I'm trying to draw lots of people to learn how to draw people, what happens is that I see 30, 40 types of noses and therefore I hope that I will now learn how to draw 30, 40 types of noses and build that library in my mind. So the next time that I go to draw, I also have this library to pull the nose shape out of when I see someone that he resembles number 37. So I know how to draw number 37, whatever. The numbering is not so exact, but the idea of having a vocabulary of shapes slash library of good lines and building that up as the artist is such a crucial thing. And uh, like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that urban sketching works that way with you as well, because that's, that's how I use it. Now, uh, I'm very curious to know, uh, now that we have restrictions uh, changing a little bit, I can't, I don't want to say how it's going to be after three, four months, because who knows, but what kind of plans do you have now going forward? Uh, like as an urban sketcher, as an illustrator, as a comic artist, what, what are some things that you're excited to do now? I'm looking forward to going back to drawing at the food places near my neighborhood, uh, coffee shops, uh, food centers, 
And that's where people, I mean, the pe- more and more people are coming out. And it's, I think this is a good time that I can just go back. And I love the fact that um, we are still, we need to mask. So I love the fact that everyone is still masked and I'm masked. Um, I mean, that hides my identity as well, as well. I think, and, and, and the identity of who I am is like a mask, you know, you mask your identity. You don't get people to see you. Things like that. It's, a, it's like a private thing. I, I'm getting used to wearing masks. I think you're trying to say <laughs> sneaky artist. <laughs> sneaky, yes, sneaky, yes, good, good. That's a good term to use. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm always trying to to draw without people noticing me. So I've learned the skills of not moving my head up and down, just only my eyes. And uh, I think also the mask, only revealing half of your face reduce the the threat level i mean people are, are over here in singapore people are a little bit touchy about right people looking at you they get offended sometimes it's like why are you why are you looking at me things like that so i try to be a sneaky artist all the time um but i'm also looking forward to to drawing more i mean going back to the neighborhood and drama i'm not really I'm not really the artist who will go all out to another place, a completely new place. Um, but I like to stick around uh, my neighborhood because there's so much, so much more. I mean, my neighborhood has so much more to offer already. So if I'm not drawing all these people and they'll be gone if, if I don't draw them, it's still going back to like collecting a library of, uh, of people around me, my life actually as a journal, not just, sketching for the sake of sketching but just uh, recording my journey in a sense yeah and i feel like if we are interested in humans then you can keep going to the same place and always find exciting new things because it's less about the setting and it's more about the characters who are always changing and always doing amazing interesting things like that's what i've found and then I've been drawing the same person. Sometimes I've been going back to the same person, the same food seller. And I have like maybe five to six versions of the particular person. And every time I make it a point to to draw a different, using a different approach, a different tool. Yeah. So, I mean, it works. Yeah, yeah. Don, this has been a very fascinating chat for me. I have enjoyed it so much and I have learned so much from speaking to you. I'm glad that we got to connect. Uh, I'm sorry that it has to be digital and that we could not meet in person, but hopefully in a COVID-free future, it will be possible for us to meet someday and sketch together. I would love to be in a crowded coffee shop with you, sketching all the people around us. Thank you so much for giving me your time. Thank you so much for having me. I hope the materials help. I'm not I'm not I'm not much of a talker though. <laughs> I think you have lovely ideas and I've been doing this for about one and a half years now. And I hear from my uh, listeners very often. They they get they send me emails and uh, they contact me on Instagram. So I really think that what people want and part of my questioning, the line of my questioning was also along that is that people don't necessarily want solutions, but people want to see how other people approach problems. And that's what I think I got from this conversation with you. How, what are some good ways to look at the problems, we, the difficulties and the obstacles we have, and what are some good ways to go around them? And, you know, 
माय एक्सपीरियंस इन माय लाइफ योर्स इन योर लाइफ दीज आर जस्ट डिफरेंट सैम्पल्स डिफरेंट मॉडल्स डिफरेंट आइटरेशंस फॉर पीपल टू लुक एट एंड देन होपफुली दे हैव सम फ्रेश आइडियाज फॉर देयर ओन वर्ल्ड यस आई एग्री टोटली बिकॉज व्हेन आई वाज लिसनिंग टू स्केचेस लाइक बजनिया हाइन रॉब स्केचमैन it's not about the solution i think you said it very well and it's not about solution it's just about how they approach their life even and also how they approach art and how they approach sketching is uh it's not about the technique at all it's not about i mean how to do it bad better and better it's to to kind of experience how they actually learn right that, that's the most important part that's the most valuable part of all the interviews that Yeah, you made as well. Yeah, so I mean, thanks for. I mean, I really thank you for like getting me to be involved. I mean, I'm, I felt honored because um, uh, those are the heroes that you have actually interviewed. And <laughs> I'm I'm glad to have you also listed as one of my guests. And it is my honor to be able to speak with you, to be able to speak with Virginia Hine and Don Colley, who is a good friend. and rob sketchman and all these wonderful people i'm so indebted that they have agreed to give me their time and their ideas and to listen to me ask all kinds of strange questions about their life uh, you know thanks thanks for doing all this because it's really like i don't really have a lot of opportunity to like speak or listen to them and this is a very good uh, you know a channel that you get people to listen to them they get They get a chance to talk and to share their experiences as well. That's that's wonderful.